Reading from the Gospel of our Lord according to Matthew, the 28th chapter, these last verses of that letter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter says, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I am delighted to be back live in this grace-filled pulpit of Third Church this morning. I had my oft-preached sermon celebrating Evangelism Sunday in the PCUSA ready to go, adjusted to reflect Third Church realities, of course. I mean it to be a light-hearted word of encouragement, with my tongue finding its regular place firmly in my cheek. As my days of quarantine waned and the events of the week unfolded, I decided that my previous plan needed to be adjusted again. I remain committed to the notion that the PCUSA resides within the bounds of the word defined by evangelical, even if in a manner we get to determine for ourselves not some other title someone else wants to place or not on us. I still intend to pay attention to the crucial reviving role gospeling plays in the process of renewing church for a new world, our theme for this year. However, still fresh events have bent my thinking about the accounting for the hope that is in me, kind of the core phrase of this message, to which Peter points me. Christian hope resides deep within my soul and in our understanding of theology, at the core of what it means to be human. I will admit that my personal spirit of hopefulness has suffered grievous wounds of late. I don't live alone in that neighborhood of despair, that's for sure. But I am the one regularly charged with standing in this place and making some holy sense of the ways of the world. So, while I talk about evangelism today, I do so paying close attention to the social and political context in which we live, which we must 
do if we want to make sense of that charge. Let me share a bit of my soul struggle as I begin. The list of forces working against my spirit of hopefulness continues to go, to grow. The whole world now has access to the body cam video of Daniel Prude's last moments here in Rochester. Let me temper my thoughts with a fitting analogy, I, at least I think it's fitting. Huckster preachers, folks who call themselves the same thing I call me, huckster preachers weasel life savings and sometimes life itself out of susceptible followers so that they, the preachers, can live in mansions and fly in their private jets. Almost all, almost all of my colleagues are good Christ-like servants of Jesus and others. Only a few preachers are hucksters. The point? The actions of the police officers in Daniel Prude's case were widely condemned by many within the law enforcement community, just as I speak not terribly highly of my huckster friends. I regularly thank police officers for their selfless service when I run and bike past them on their beat. I also pray silently for their protection and that they serve with justice and integrity. Still, Daniel Prude died because of the actions of a few of them months ago. And we are only now beginning to assess blame. My spirit of hopefulness suffers. Just last week, a Louisville grand jury acknowledged that Breonna Taylor, a public servant herself, was killed by police officers while sleeping in her own apartment. I've not studied all of the nuances, the gray areas of the situation. There always are some. <clears throat> I am certain of this. Breonna Taylor fell asleep alive and she is now dead. The grand jury declared that the officers who shot her were not culpable. Someone's at fault. People are righteously and rightly riled. And my spirit of hopefulness is stunned again. Last but not least, we citizens of this country are wading through the muck and mire of never-before-experienced times. The person at the top of the leadership heap continues to sow division, seeds of division, uh, division and discord in our society. He tramples in ways too numerous to begin to mention on the not-perfect principles that guide our imperfect union. Over 200,000 of our fellow citizens have already died. Many more are ill. Our lives, our lives are massively disrupted. 
And Mr. Trump declares that COVID-19 affects virtually nobody. My heart breaks. Guess what? I still need to obey Peter. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. In other words, Presbyterian or not, I am called and commissioned to be an evangelical. How can that be easy, as I suggest? I've just laid out a pretty good argument for the difficulties that are facing us. Still, I contend that there are easy elements to the task. First, let me do what every speech teacher has ever told us not to do, start out with the negatives. A few ideas about what evangelism is not, in my mind. Evangelism is not street corner soapboxing, finding a place to stand and begin to tell other people what they need to believe. Some of that might be effective, but it is not at the heart of what I call evangelism. Evangelism is not cold calling on the telephone or door knocking from house to house down the street. It is not that. Additionally, it's terribly ineffective, studies show. Evangelism evangelism is not my way or the highway judgmentalism. If you don't believe as I believe and as God has placed in me to tell you what is right, then you are going to you know where. It is not that. On the far other side of the spectrum, evangelism is not rosy-colored optimism. If you only believe, if we only believed in this world, all of our problems would go away. It is not that. It is much more difficult. Evangelism also, in my mind, is not many, uh, not wimpy, many ways thinking. Now, what do I mean by wimpy, many ways thinking? Oh, everybody's fine, everybody's good, everybody's way is a good way. Whether that's true or not is immaterial to me. What I need to know is what I believe and what I think and where I stand and to engage others in the, in the things that they believe from a position of certainty in my own mind while keeping the door open to the fact that I could be terribly wrong. Neither does evangelism require us to develop and deposit imported dogma in a specific way, whether we know it and believe it or not. I know by your own admissions in the online classes that I've interacted with you on, I know that many of you have pretty serious questions, even doubts, about what the PCUSA presents as an understanding of belief. I don't think this will shock many of you who have interacted with me. So do I. I happily and wholeheartedly subscribed to the package deal that we have for a couple of reasons. 
It mostly, mostly rings true to my own thoughts and experiences, and I am allowed to scratch my head and conscientiously dissent in the few cases where my own spirit causes me to do that. Third Church is a wonderful place for that because we all celebrate and affirm that right to dissent. The most important tool for accomplishing this commission, sharing ourselves, as Becky said, telling our stories, what we know, who we are, what has touched us. We embrace the task of humbly. Peter put that in there, didn't he? Peter encourages us to embrace the task of humbly telling how faith in Jesus touches and shapes our lives without the expectation of a response from the inquirer. We share our stories and we let the Holy Spirit do the rest. The key to sharing our stories? We have to know our stories. So we have to stop and review life for significant faith moments, to store them in the front of our memory banks, to rehearse them, as it were, where we can withdraw them quickly when someone asks us for what? To give an accounting for the hope that they see in us. And people will see that hope if we live with it. What's up with you, they will say and you will have an opportunity to share your stories. We don't hold in our spiritual arsenal tools to beat people into agreement. That is not who we are. It's not my understanding at all of who Jesus is. That tactic does more harm than good, as many of us know and have come to experience in our own lives. So, but it's not only about us. And this is where it expands to our life as a community of faith in these challenging, challenging times. We lock our church stories into our memories as well. Third Church has struck me from day one, actually even before I got here. I listened to you online for a couple of weeks. Third Church has struck me as a place where deep and warm commitment to Jesus broadly defined sits right next to your long commitment to love and care for your neighbors as yourselves. It's not either or, but both and. Evangelism and social commitment. So we add third church stories to our repertoire, going all the way back to the imperfect evangelist Charles Finney. How you have cared for folks others have ignored. How you were at the forefront of welcoming whoever walked through your doors. How you have stood for and alongside of people who experience hardship and injustice and oppression as they are doing today and we are continuing to stand alongside of them. How we have consistently preached the gospel using words when necessary. As we are doing now, 
and are deigning to do more effectively in the years unfolding before us. Not perfectly, to be sure. People will walk away from us for all sorts of different reasons, even condemn us for who we are and what we say we believe because it doesn't agree with them. Still, we commit to doing our best and we recognize that we fall short. We don't stop trying, however. I will confess to you that I had a tough night Thursday night as I was thinking about this sermon. Normally sleep and I get along really well and I struggled Thursday night and I knew that the sermon that I had prepared just would not work. I got up on Friday morning and I found something was happening. I noticed that as I thought about where we are and who we are and what our opportunities are before us, I noticed that my own spirit of hopefulness revived. I was preaching to myself, as I almost always do. I began in a rather dour, or as the Scots say, dour, in a rather dour, despairing mood. I hear hope once again knocking at my spirit's door. Easy evangelism, the title of that other sermon I had written, on the one hand, no, not at all. On the other hand, yes, for sure. I don't need to understand or accept all the ways of the world. I simply need to understand me and my stories and be ready and willing to share my hope which I still have. And the hope of that serving Third Church brings me and this community. We are evangelical. Even in our Presbyterian sorts of ways. We have individual and communal stories of grace to share. So go and tell says Jesus. Ask God to reveal easy opportunities for you to share yourself. Not me, not John Calvin, not all of those other things, but yourself in daily life, out of your daily routines. Don't beat down doors. You don't have to. Only wait for and discern moments of openness in others when your story will sound like something they need to hear. Then, obey Peter. Always be ready, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Thanks be to God. Amen. Oh,